Uh, at this time, I would like to introduce our speaker. So his last name is Morris. His first name is not Justin. All right, so this is, as, as I think you put it, the bigger, better version of Justin. The original version, the original download of the Morris clan, Scott Morris. <laughs> oh, boy. Be careful what you say, because it will come back to haunt you. Um, that's right. Uh, thank you so much for the warm welcome. Um, it is a blessing to be with New Community Church this morning. See all your wonderful faces here this morning. Um, as we get to dive into one, one of the uh, one, a very exciting text, and a lot, hopefully we'll have a lot of fun here this morning and, and walk away challenged as well. Um, before we dive into the text, though, this morning, I, I think there's some important distinctions you need to understand about me and my brother, okay? Um, I am the older brother, but Justin looks like he's the older brother. So um, just ask him to bend over and show the pattern of baldness that he, he's got going on right here. He'll love that, okay? Just, just make sure and do that. I don't know if anybody in first service did that or not. I'm, I'm going to be really disappointed if this doesn't happen, so help me out here, okay? The other thing is, is, is that I am the taller one, and, and he is the shorter one. We may have to stand side by side for you to see that, but it, it is true. And I'm the thicker version, and he is definitely the thinner version of the Morris boys. But no, um, when Justin asked me, he uh, called me up a couple months ago and asked me, hey, Scott, would you like to preach? And man, what an honor when your brother calls you up to do that. And, and I, there was two thoughts that came through my mind when he asked me if I was willing to preach. The first thought was, wow, he must be really secure in his position here now. <laughs> Either that or he's really desperate. I'm not sure which two were going through his mind when he asked me, but uh, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. And, uh, but in all, in all seriousness, though, it, it breaks my heart when I see families not get along. Um, I have in my brother, uh, not just my brother, but a great friend, um, A.W. Tozer makes a statement that I wish wasn't true, but it is. God can't use you greatly until he's hurt you deeply. I've watched my brother Justin and Melissa go through a lot of hard times in their lives. Experiencing physical, emotional, spiritual pain. They keep leaning into God and leaning to each other. We both Justin and Mel and my wife Christy and I, we both have adopted kiddos. And, and there's, there's, some, there's some tough things that come along with that. And I'm able to pick up the phone and call my brother and get counsel from my brother on my marriage, on how to raise my kids. It's so wonderful to have somebody to talk with about theological things and, and dive into those issues and, and wrestle through them together. And, and we don't always agree, but man, we have a great discussion together and we always end up walking away going, man, that, thank you for that. I just want to encourage you, that, and, and, and Justin and Melissa, you've got this great ministry team that really knows what it is to have hurt and to cling to Jesus. You see, my brother and I both served in the army, my wife, my dad. We've all served in the army, and then that first lieutenant, or that second lieutenant, when he's brand new to the army, he comes in and he's got all these bright ideas, but he's got no, no experience in the field, no experience in combat, and you're, you're just like, whatever. You've got a ministry team that knows what it is to be in combat and know what it is to go through the fire and to come out loving Jesus and not angry and bitter. And so take advantage of that. Ask them their stories. Pray for them. 
pray for your elder team. I heard they got away last week, weekend. Man, that was awesome. Be in prayer for them. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the text. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word, that it is so powerful and life-changing. What a gift it is to us to be able to, to have it in our hands and to read it in our language that we can understand and to have so many different translations of it, to, so many different opportunities for us to learn. Lord, you really, really, really love us. Most importantly, God, you uh, gave us your spirit that we might understand it. What a blessing, Lord. Lord, speak to us this morning through your word. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Fill our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, did you guys know there's a birthday today? How many knew there was a birthday today? Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. This is Pentecost. Do you realize that almost 2,000 years ago, on this day, God lit the fire that started the church? When Justin asked me to preach, I was like, man, that's so exciting. And I, and I told a friend of mine, I'm getting to preach on, on May 23rd. And he turns to me, he goes, that's Pentecost. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I get to preach on Pentecost? And, and then Justin said, well, I've started doing this, this series, kind of peppering it through the year, of called Under the Influence. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what a gift. I get to preach on Pentecost Sunday about the Holy Spirit, about Pentecost. Man, just, I, mean, I feel really blessed this morning to be up here this morning because we get to dive into this beautiful text. Now, what's amazing to me is that in the church, let's just... Certain types of churches, okay? If you grew up in a Pentecostal slant, you, Pentecost Sunday did not go by without a big celebration. But if you grew up in a more like conservative Bible teaching church, yes, it's Pentecost Sunday, but let's just, uh, the church is supposed to be the church, and let's move on, because hey, we talk about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's doing a really crazy thing here, and that's a little scary to us. Well, let's dive into the scariness this morning. Anybody down for diving into the scariness? I want to dive into the scariness, because this is cool. Because we just got done singing some really cool songs this morning. I don't know if you pay attention to the lyrics that you're singing, but we, we, we sang, God, you've moved mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again. Do we really believe that? Let's find out. All right. Look with me here. This sermon this morning, I'm kind of equating it like a seven-layer dip. How many of y'all know what a seven-layer dip is? Oh, good. First service, I don't know if they just weren't awake or they need, to, they need some lessons on seven-layer dip. Y'all might need the next potluck or whatever. You need a seven-layer dip, right? Well, you get a nice, good seven-layer dip going on, and you grab your favorite, either potato chip or your tortilla chip, whatever your favorite is, and your goal, your goal, you're staring at this seven-layer dip. It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? And you're getting hungry right now. Hold on. You know, I only preach 20 minutes. I only gain about 20 more minutes the second time I preach. You want to dive into that dip, right? And you want to take that chip, and you want to get all seven layers. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to get all seven layers on a single chip, and then I'm going to, ah, uh, and place it in. It's going to, I'm going to nail all the taste buds. One dip. But you stick it in there, what happens? The chip breaks. 
doggone it, the chip breaks. And you're like, and then you're that guy who's trying to fish his chip out of the rest of the, you know. This morning, this passage is layered. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And we're going to want to dig in our spiritual theological chip right now, and we're going to want to capture all the layers. I'm going to tell you your chip's going to break. Okay? But it's okay. Because that's the beauty of God's word. You're going to come back to this passage again and again and again and again. And those layers are going to start filling out and you're going to dive into it and get more and more. And maybe you've already studied this once. And I'm hoping this morning you're going to get another layer and another bit of goodness from the, from the Holy Spirit challenging our hearts to be what God calls us to be in this text. So let's dive in together here. Let's look here at verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles open, open them up. Get it open, you know, a good friend of pastor, a friend of Justin and I's, Jeff Vanderstelt, he says, you know, either you get the Bible open on an app or in your lap, but get it open, okay? When Justin is going to talk about, at the end of this, I don't mean to give it away, this, this announcement thing, but the, in your future is a sermon on the Bible and what it is to have the Bible formation. I started drooling when I heard about that topic. When I was in seminary, that's what, I, that's what I focused my study on was the emission of the text, specifically the New Testament. You have no idea. You really don't what it took for you to have that Bible in your hand today. It is God's gift to you to be able to open up the Word and read it. People have paid with their lives to bring that Bible. The faithfulness of scribes writing by candlelight to make sure that the text was passed on and passed on and faithfully transcribing. It is such a gift. And, I, and I'm not that we worship the Bible. I don't worship this. We worship Jesus. But we learn about Jesus through this, that God's gift to us, his word. So I hope you, like, treasure that. I hope that you've given an opportunity to open up the word you do it. I hope that when a Sunday morning gathering, come, a large gathering comes around in this gathering place, you're like, I get to bust out the Bible with other believers and read it together today. Like, this is exciting stuff to be able to do this. Now I'm going to get off my soapbox and get back to the text. All right. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay. The day of Pentecost. I got to give you a little background to this. And maybe you know it already, and this is a rehash. It's okay. It's okay to relearn things. It solidifies it in our minds. The day of Pentecost to the Jews, okay, had a different meaning than it means to us as the church today. To the Jews, it was celebrated for two things. One, God had delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, okay? And God had moved them through the desert and to this point of after a certain amount of time till they came and God placed them down and they received the law of God. Now there are two celebrations would have focused around two different things. One of them was the first wheat harvest, the Feast of Weeks, okay? And they would have gathered together that God freed them from slavery and enabled them to have this freedom to produce their own harvest, feed their own families and take care of them. They would also have celebrated with that that it's also the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? They would have celebrated that that was God's gift to them. And then that was super important because, unfortunately, the church can kind of have a negative look at the Torah. 
the law. We think of, oh, the law, oppression, bad things. The Israelites couldn't obey it. They kept messing that up. Like, we have a negative understanding of the law. That's wrong understanding. The law was a precious gift to the Israelite people. See, God had spoken to the Israelites and said, this is what it is to be in relationship with me. This is what it is to walk with me. This is what it is to know me. God was revealing his character to the nation of Israel. God was revealing to the nation of Israel, guess what, you want to have the best life, the most abundant life? Well, here it is. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to lay it out for you. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a blessing from God to the nation of Israel so they may know how to walk with God. And so this day of Pentecost would have, been, would have been a celebration, a party. It was one of three times that people would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival. Man, church, we stink at celebrating things. We really do. Like, the nation of Israel had these festival days, and they would have gotten together, and it would have been a party. And they would have been partying because God gave them the law. How cool is that? And that's what's going on. Here is this celebration, this festival of weeks, this day of Pentecost, where people have come to Jerusalem, have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the getting of their law. Now, who is the they that is being described here? And they were all gathered in one place. Well, it's the disciples. Well, what's happened to the disciples? Quick refresh. Jesus is raised from the grave. He spent some time with them. He ascended into heaven in Acts 1. He gives them this this statement. The Holy Spirit's coming. And when he comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What were they doing? They were gathered in one place, waiting for the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost. Now maybe you're starting to see some of those layers starting to form as I'm talking. How God chose the day of Pentecost to send the Holy Spirit. We see here next in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave, uh, gave them utterance. Now this is where we start squirming in our seats a little bit. He just mentioned tongues. Like, this is uncomfortable for us if we wasn't raised in a Pentecostal background. It's okay. At this point in the text, it's known languages. You're all right. Breathe easier. Okay, right? Breathe easier. Known languages. They're speaking in known languages at this point to these individuals who traveled to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. This would have been an incredible experience. You're in a room Imagine you've got your house church and you're sitting in the house church and you're talking with one another, breaking bread, eating some good food, drinking some good drink, and you're having a good time together as house church. And all of a sudden, it's like a hurricane gale force winds entered the inside of that room and started rushing around. And all of a sudden, you look and above your buddies. And your buddy's wife and their kids, he's like, these like flames, like you're about to be on fire. What? 
Holy Spirit in an audible, visible, physical way was coming down upon the disciples to change things forever. Now listen to Act, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. As the scene is described as God gives Moses the law. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. What's God doing here? He's redeeming. He's perfecting. He's completing the giving of the law by bringing the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if that rushing wind sounded like all the prophecies, all the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit rushing around in that room? Like, close your eyes with me for a second. It's okay. Close your eyes with me. And, and imagine that that sound all of a sudden sounds like, I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from the countries, and I will bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone, and a new spirit I will put within you. Excuse me, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you because you walk in my statutes. Be careful to my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. It's like Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, where God is speaking and says, And I will write the law upon their hearts and their minds, and they will no longer need someone to teach them. It's when Jesus is saying to his disciples, And I will send you the spirit the helper like all these scriptures all of these times you can open your eyes now you like all of these scriptures all these things coming to bear on this moment being fulfilled in this moment and God is bringing it and, and God is lighting the fuse for the church it's about ready to go off like in a crazy atomic bomb now how do I know that because look we keep reading in this text now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they hear that we hear each of us in his own native language? What is so cool is this rushing sound drew the multitude together. Brothers and sisters, that's what God's word does. That's what God's movement does. It draws people together. And not just white evangelical Christians. Next verse. Looks, listen to this. Look at this map as I read this. Okay? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. This is so cool! 
what did the origination of the church look like? Not this room. Arabs. Asians. Africans. Europeans. Middle Eastern. Jews. 3,000 people come to faith this day from all over the world. Can I get an amen? That's what the original church looked like. The original church looked like that. That is so stinking cool. And I know some of you want to say, well, it was just a bunch of Jews that were spread out from the diaspora. So if you don't know what the diaspora is, um, the diaspora was a time in, in the history of Israel, the Babylonian Empire comes in, and the Babylonian Empire had a really smart way of conquering a people. They realized in order to conquer someone, it took a lot more soldiers and a lot more people having to stay away from their homes if you kept all the peoples together. And so what they did is they shipped them off. They would take this family and they'd ship them over here. They'd take this person, they'd ship them over there. They'd take this person, they'd ship them over there. And if you were really smart, like in the book of Daniel, and you showed great pro prospect and you were really good at thinking and philosophizing, well, you two went to Babylon. And they were going to train you up in the ways of Babylon, in the Babylonian Empire. Well, the Jews never fully recovered from this. The great dispersion, the great diaspora. And so you have Jews spread out throughout this whole region. It would have been across the whole Babylonian Empire. And so they would, some Jews would have traveled back. But I love Dr. Luke here. Dr. Luke makes it very clear when he's telling Theophilus this account. He says, it's not just Jews. It's proselytes. It's Cretans. It's Arabians. He doesn't just say people from these regions. He's identifying them. This is not just Jews that have come. These are people that are interested in understanding about the celebration of the Torah. They've heard about it. They've experienced it. And they too want to come and celebrate this day of receiving Torah, receiving the law from God. And the text says that they were devout men. Now, that same word used for devout is used of Simeon and Luke, the guy who was in the temple that was praying daily, and he was getting old in age, and he was praying for the Messiah to come, and in walks Joseph and Mary with Jesus, and Simeon looks upon Jesus and knows this is the Messiah, said that Simeon was a devout man. It is also said of those who picked up Stephen after he'd been stoned, and they carried him to lay him in his grave that those men who carried Stephen and buried him were devout men. These are people who aren't just mildly curious about God and the law. These people are who are invested in studying it and want to know more. And here they are gathered on the day where people celebrate the giving of the law. Come in now. God is so cool. And what happens is the giving of the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to mother what does this mean but others mocked and said they are filled with new wine they are filled with new wine they're a bunch of drunks granted it's only the third hour of the day which meant about 9 a.m. in the morning and Peter's going to go on to say in this text and I'm not going to dive into Peter's sermon I'm going to leave you in good hands, Justin's hands, to go over that and dive into that at a later date. 
We're going to stop here. But Peter's going to go on to say, it's only 9 a.m., folks. We haven't had enough time to get drunk yet, okay? No, we're under the influence of something else. We're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this should be significant to you. Because Joel talked about it. Because Ezekiel talked about it. Because Jeremiah talked about it. And if you're devout men, and you've studied the law, and you've studied the Old Testament scriptures, you know this day what's happening right now is crazy significant. Everything's changing right now as you're standing there. How cool would it have been to have been there in that moment? Like, like this is the day the church began. How cool and amazing it would have been there to see all this taking place. You know, what's even more cool is we get to be here now living in light of this. Because there's, there's, I want you to answer the two questions that's being posed right here. I want you to answer them for yourself. What does it mean? Are you asking that of this text? Because sometimes we the church can look back at history and we can look back and say, wow, that was such a cool event. Man, I would have liked to have been there. That would have been a really cool thing to have been part of and see and witness. And the Galileans have been a bunch of uneducated guys like speaking in all these different languages and everybody, and, but they're speaking in what they understand to be just Hebrew or Aramaic is what they were speaking, but people were hearing it in their own language. Man, that had to have been off the chart. What a cool event. Man, I'm so glad God did that. But there's no change. There's no impact on our own hearts. And when we respond that way, we're basically saying, what a cool event, but really it's got nothing to mean to me. It's like we're telling them you're just a bunch of drunks hanging out. You see, God gave us this word to change our, life, our lives, to change our hearts, to change how we live, to change how we think. And so we should ask this, what does this mean to me? Like the Pentecost happened, these people were gathered together, what does it mean to me? What's the point of this story? That's a great question, I'm so glad you asked. It shows you're tracking with me this morning. Good job, all right. So I'm going to answer that for you. I'm going to answer that question. What does this mean? Well, it, it, is the, what's the point of the story then? Is the point of the story you got the disciples gathered in one place and that God loves unity and God loves the disciples being together? God does love unity, but that's not the point of the story. Is the point of the story the coming of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what a cool event. Audibly, physically, like all the, the, the senses being involved as the Spirit descends upon the disciples and what took place in that moment. Should we be retrying to recreate that event? Is that the point of this story? No. God loves to mix it up and do things differently. That's not the point of this story. Well, is it the coming together of all these nations? I mean, and, and in today's world... There's all these racial problems. If we could all just come together in racial equity and coming together as one people, is that the point? That that, well, that is a very good thing. That is not the point of this story. The point of this story is found right here in verse 11. It says, And both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, were hearing them tell in our own tongues, what are they hearing? The mighty works of God. The point of this story is God did all of that so that the gospel, God's story, can be proclaimed. You know what's really cool? Here's a fun fact. That word mighty there 
For my Greek scholars in the room, you might be thinking it's dunamis. It's not. I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, it's got to be dunamis. No! This is such an important, significant word. It's the only time in the Greek New Testament that it's used. Luke went out there and grabbed like a good doctor does. Doctors love doing that. They love throwing terminologies at us. We're like going, right? Yeah, see my education. Like Luke does this right here. Like, boom, mighty works of God. Who? I got to look that one up. You should. Because the mighty works of God can be compared to nothing else. The mighty works of God. And what does he dive in? And he dives into the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave and David talked about it and Joel talked about it and he's not dead, he's alive. And that story, and as he begins to proclaim the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done, he even lays it out that guess what? It's your fault that Jesus is in the grave. It's my fault that Jesus had to die. But praise be to God, he got up and he walked out of the grave and they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. And 3,000 people said, I believe. 3,000. It's an amazing event that takes place here. And I'm telling you, so what is this message that is so important? Well, I want you to understand there's some characteristics of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need to know about that's given to us in this text. First of all, the number one character of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just a character out of history that had good morals. Jesus is our king. We're Americans, we don't like kingship language. We like to vote, we like to pick, we like to choose. And we love that our votes and our picks and our chooses don't last very long and we can move on. Jesus is king. He's, there is no other king. Jesus is throning. He sits on it. His redemptive work is complete. His enemies are already being placed as a footstool underneath his feet. Jesus is to reign upon the throne of our hearts and our lives. And guess what kings do? Kings don't ask for our opinions. Especially King Jesus, because he knows what's best for us. Like the giving of the law, Jesus tells us what the abundant life looks like. He informs us of what grace and truth really are. You want to know truth? Go to Jesus. You don't want to know how you should think about things that are going on in society? Go to Jesus. The gospel should be informing every area and every aspect of your life. My life. He's the king. And the beautiful thing is, whether you believe he's the king or not, it doesn't change the fact that he's the king period. You know what's so cool? We sing that song, right? My confidence is he hasn't failed me yet, right? Just lines are yet, but period. Jesus has not failed me. Jesus never will fail me, period. Why? Because he's the king. As much as we don't want him to be the king, we really desperately need him to be the king. And we should want him to be He's the Messiah. The gospel, the mighty works that they're proclaiming, Jesus is king. Let's let him reign. Let's let him rule. The next thing that we see 
that this text is revealing to us about the gospel is the Holy Spirit is the empower, the one that lights it and creates the church. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. And I'm looking at the church. This is the church. This isn't the church. You know, when my brother told me, like, hey, these, we're getting a chance to, to move into a building, and I was happy because I, I've been there. You know, we had a, we were, I pastored a small church in Chelan, and we'd rolled out mats every Sunday. We were meeting in, the, in an elementary school. We were loading up the vans, and we were doing all that every week, and it's, it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? You're like, oh, you know, and it's hard. And to have a place where you could just come and be like, oh, that's great. But God help us. God help us if we start referring to this as the church. You see, your language has meaning. Because when we start referring to a building as the church, we start looking, well, I'm going to bring people here so they might know Jesus. That's against what Jesus does here. That's against what the Holy Spirit commissioned. You see, that used to be the model. I don't know if you know this or not. God always intended that the nations would come to faith. God has always been a missional God. That's not a New Testament thing. If you don't believe me, go back and reread the Old Testament. God wanted Israel to be the nation that obeyed him, followed him, pursued him, so that they would be a beacon to the world, so that the world might know God was there, so that they might come and experience God through Israel's obedience and direction of following God. And that's why God was so ticked off in Jeremiah and Isaiah, because you're supposed to be the missionaries to the world. You're supposed to be the, the showing the world, the light to the world, and you're failing. You can't take care of the orphans. You can't take care of the widows. You're sacrificing your own children to false idols. Jesus was so desperately needed. God's all intent has always been that nations of this whole world would come to faith in him. It wasn't supposed to look like one group. It was always supposed to look like everybody. And the really cool thing about this moment, how many of you know the story of the Tower of Babel? I told you there's so many layers to this, right? The Tower of Babel. The, Babylon, the people of Babel are trying to build this tower up to God to show how powerful and mighty they are. What does God do? He disperses them by their language. You want to talk about God redeeming event? Look what God does right here. God says language will not stop the gospel. And I praise God for groups like Wycliffe. Wycliffe Bible translators who he took it as on. like, we're going to go find the most remote people groups. We're going to find the people who don't have any written word in their language. We're going to put it in written language so they can come to know faith in Jesus Christ and redeem. That becomes possible because of this moment right here. God's redeeming things. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be his church. The next thing that we know about this is that the church is supposed to be all missionaries. Broke my heart when I heard a pastor actually stand in the pulpit and tell his congregation, you're not missionaries. I'm like, look what I'm gonna be. What? No, that's for the people who go overseas. Brothers and sisters, wrong answer. Show me that distinction in Scripture. We've all been given the power of the Holy Spirit within us to proclaim the mighty works of God, the gospel, to propel us into the communities that we live in. I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't answer. If God was to take new 
community church out of Xenia right now, would the community look different? It should. It should look radically different. Because this body of believers is part of other body of believers. Yes, there's other Christians in, in Xenia. I'm pretty sure you know that. But just in case you didn't know, right? Like, to be beacons and lights in this place. Your neighbor should mourn and grieve if you're not there to love them, care for them. Your job should mourn and grieve if you're not there because you are ethical, you love Jesus in your workplace, you bring the gospel to bear in everything you do there. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do. You see, I want you to understand that the job you have is not just happenstance. It's not just luck. It's not just chance. God's placing you and your job to be light in life there. That's why it matters. We always think we've got this weird hierarchy that like, somehow the, the elders are, are somehow elevated above like what everybody else does. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You are God's kingdom people in places that the elders can't go. God placed you there. God, you think you're buying a house. I've got the best, best price of house I could afford, so I, that's where we live is by the, by, because we can afford to live there. No, you live there because God puts you there to be light there. You think you bought this house over here because it's got the best schools. And I want to send my kids to the best schools. Wrong answer. You may have made that decision based upon that, but God puts you there to be light and life in that neighborhood. And shame on you if you don't know your neighbor's names. God has given you the gift to not do this alone. These house churches that you guys are doing, this is good. The house church is the better. Did you hear me? This is good. The house church is the better. Because right now, nobody's talking to each other. You're just listening to me. I'm sorry about that. But the Holy Spirit works, moves in mighty ways when you're in circles, not in lines. And so I'm going to encourage you. If you're not part of a house church, get with Jay. Find out, do the welcome thing into house church and become part of one. It's going to be messy and it's going to be inconvenient. But let me tell you what, the love of Christ is always messy, inconvenient, sacrificial. But that's what love is. And you're going to grow like crazy. And it's going to be awesome. And you're going to see the power of God move. Finally, the message of the truth of the church is the story of God, the gospel. That's your message, church. Did you know that? Your number one message is the mighty works of God. I want to ask you a question. Don't answer. Not a lot. Over the last year, has that been your number one message? In the midst of COVID, mask or not mask, vaccine or no vaccine, have you spent more time talking about that gospel? Not wearing a mask is going to save you. Wearing a mask is going to save you. Getting the vaccine is going to save you. Not getting the vaccine is going to save you. What about politics? Did you know politics is the new religion? Believing that an individual is going to save America. If we just get this president, 
make everything right. To make it as it should be. Let me tell you something about political leaders. They make things right and as it should be for certain groups of people, but not for others. Because there's only one person that's ever lived that makes it right for everybody, and that's Jesus Christ. But how much time have we spent propelling a gospel message about politicians? I'm going to tell you something. Romans 13. Go read it. Biden's supposed to be president. Why? Because who appoints all authority? God. And what are we supposed to do for our leaders? Pray for them. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the most important message. That's what unifies us. That's what brings us together. That enables us to see our blind sides. And maybe you're seeing a blind side this morning, and maybe you're ticked at me right now. That's okay. That's good. Emotion is good. Passion is good. A dead, spiritless church is bad. Be passionate. But be passionate about the gospel. If you're convicted this morning, like, man, I have been spent way too much time talking about this or talking about that, and I have not been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it radically changed my life, guess what? The beauty about the gospel of Jesus stands ready to forgive you. 1 John 1.9 is written to Christians that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all and from all unrighteousness. That's to us. Praise God. We're going to screw this up. We're a messy bunch of fallen, broken people. And God says, I love you. I love you where you're at. But don't stay there, please. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue God and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. His message. What's dominated the, the conversations of your house church? Is it how God is moving and shaping and radically changing your lives? Is it, is it how God is giving you opportunities to speak to your neighbor that you never had? Like, this is what's amazing about this passage. That this day, this day that we celebrate another birthday of the church, we can hit the reset button and say, you know, we... I've stunk it up. I've not done this well. And God says, great. That's fantastic. Because guess when we start to acknowledge what we've messed up, God can start to redeem things. But brothers and sisters, as long as we stand fixated with a pair of concrete shoes on and sit there and say, no, I've done it right. Look at me. That person's the one that's screwing it up. If they would just get on the right mute, sound of sheet of music. Let me tell you something. God has done something to my heart that has radically changed me. He took me and planted me in Detroit. Farm boy from Nebraska. That's my origins. Justin and I are origins in Nebraska. By the way, we're the only people to speak without an accent in all of the United States, okay? The heartland, right there, right? Great place to be from. All right. Listen, God transplanted a farm boy into Detroit. And I work in a place that is predominantly black. And I'm so thankful for that. I have a black pastor as one of my employees. He invited me to come preach at his church. 
in February where they were celebrating Black History Month. I told Charles, you know I'm white, right? Charles has lost 40 people in his parish to COVID this last year. Many of them his own family members. Brothers and sisters, I know we've got opinions on things, but have we listened to each other? I went to his church and I was so blown away by they spent like slides to music, forget that stuff, okay? They were just going off. And you know where they're going off on? The names of God. I'm telling you, for 20 minutes, we did nothing but sing the names of God. So moving. And I rejoice in that. As Christians, we should be the first ones to say the gospel is the prime. That's the rallying point. That is the banner from which we all gather together. And so we can say, yes, I have thought ill of these people. And yes, I have thought ill of these people. And yes, I've thought wrong. And we can confess that. And we can unite together around the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, around the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no room for all these divisions. We've been about things over this last year that have divided the church, not brought it together. It's time to confess that, repent of it, and turn it to the message that the Holy Spirit gave us on the day of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago, the mighty works of God revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life, who died upon the cross for our sins, and who rose from the grave, and he's going to come back someday to redeem all things, to make it new. It's exciting, church. And that's the message of hope that we've been given to bring. So I ask you this morning, what message have you been proclaiming? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. So much for the beauty of conviction, for convicting my heart, And Father God, I confess this morning that at work, I've been about my accomplishments, about me making things better, and I've been getting frustrated because I haven't been having the success that I thought I should have. Instead of going to work every day, thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how I can live that and how I can proclaim that, and as with the audience that you've given me. And I thank you so much, Jesus, for your blood that washes us clean. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, all of us this morning, where we need to get focused back on the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we need to proclaim it in our homes to our kids, where we need to proclaim it, Lord God, in our places of work and proclaim it on the playgrounds and proclaim it in our schools and proclaim it in our neighborhoods, Lord God. We are the sent ones. We are the witnesses that you commissioned and sent out. Challenge our hearts, Lord God, please. In Jesus' name we pray and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.